churches, and I am not picking on any churches, any types of churches, because what we will see is that I believe in all of our worship services across the world and across the country, we seem to be losing something. It seems that some churches have shifted so much to an extreme goal of trying to welcome the world in that they have changed to be like the world. Therefore, they look like the world. They sing like the world. They perform like the world. They act like the world so that the world will be comfortable in their presence. They're so focused on pleasing and attracting people that they've forgotten about the true worship of God. But then there's the opposite extreme where we have people that will come in and woefully sing worship songs. We sit on our hands. We don't say amen. And we sing like we're at a funeral service. Instead of coming in to worship a glorious God. We must not look at the world to fashion our worship. We must not look at what is most pleasing to us to fashion our worship. I would guarantee that there's a lot of different styles of music that are appreciated in this congregation. We have different things we're interested in. And they're okay. But we don't go to those as our source of what we want in worship. What we should want in worship is what God has designed in worship. So we don't look to the world to fashion. We don't look to our interests to fashion our worship. We look to God to fashion and shape our worship. We as the church, we need to look to heaven. And the God of heaven who sits upon a mighty throne to see what worship truly should be. R.C. Sproul states that our worship on earth should be in anticipation of heaven. It should be a small foretaste of heaven. But do you taste and see heaven when we morbidly and somberly sing through a worship and praise song? Or do you see a taste of heaven when you see a performance on a stage? In both instances, we see the lack of God or the pleasing of man, but we don't see God as the purpose of our worship. Worship must always begin with God. It must be our focus to see God in every aspect of our worship. And I'm not just talking about how we sing. I'm talking about when we come through the doors and we pray and we read Scripture and we sing and we pray, and we hear the preached Word. All of that is worship. And in all of that, we should first see God. And I tell you, this worship at home also applies when you pick up this Word of God and you start to read it. Do you see God upon His throne? Are you worshiping Him upon His throne when you're reading through The Word, all of our worship must focus on Him. 
Our text is from Revelations chapter 4. Revelations chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Our title is A Throne of Worship. A Throne of Worship. In the preceding chapters of the revelation given to John, he's been told by Jesus that Jesus was the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. And then Jesus instructed him to write to the seven churches. But after these things, John is transported in spirit. And what he is transported in spirit to is nothing more than an awe-inspiring worship service. If we want to see worship, this chapter gives us a small foretaste of what is to come in worshiping God upon His throne. So let's read these verses of chapter 4. After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet calling talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like a crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. The first beast was like a lion. The second beast like a calf. The third beast had a face as a man. And the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him. And they were full of eyes within And they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts gave glory and honor and thanks to Him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fell down before Him that sat on the throne and worshiped Him that liveth forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. We could stop there and have had a worship service. But what I want us to see is that when John is transported in spirit into heaven... He doesn't focus on who is or isn't there. He doesn't look for the apostles who he loved dearly, who had all gone on before him. The entire chapter, the entire focus of this chapter is on the throne. The throne of God. And it is this throne that first captivates John when he is transported, when he comes through that door to the sounding of the calling, he sees not the emerald first, not the beasts first, not the 24 elders first. He sees a throne set 
with one seated upon it. The throne in verse 2, And immediately I was in the Spirit and beheld a throne was set in heaven and one sat upon the throne. The Greek word is thronos. It's a throne, a safety, a stately seat or a seat of power. This word throne is used 14 times in these 15 verses. 12 of them referring to God's throne. Two of them to the thrones of the elders, which are translated as seats. But it's the exact same Greek word, thronos. So I got curious as to why it was translated seats here, when it could have been thrown. And I like that it was translated as seat, because every other time that thronos is used as throne, it is talking about the king of Israel or the king of heaven. But it talks about Satan upon his thronos, but it calls it his seat. And even here he calls it the 24 elders upon their seats. Because when they are in the presence of God, even their seats are not worthy to be called a throne before God's throne. The focus isn't on a piece of furniture sitting in the middle of a room. It's what this throne represents. It's what this throne entails. It shows complete and absolute Sovereignty over all things that were, that are, and that will be. This throne is the centrality of our worship. Because on this eternal throne that has always been, is there now and always will be, is the one who is worthy to sit upon this throne. The Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. Who holds and ordains all things. He is the central Focus of all the worship. And as we see in this chapter, there's some magnificent things that you see. Mind-blowing things. But throughout we hear of the throne. It goes back to the throne. This was at a time when John was on the Isle of Patmos as a prisoner. The other apostles had all gone on to be with the Lord He's an old man. He's lived a long life and now he's a prisoner. It could seem like dark times for the church. Rome ruled on a throne. And as John is imprisoned, he can see that maybe the candlesticks are flickering. The hope is going away. The world seems dark. Caesar seems to be ruling and maybe John needed a reminder that we too need that God still reigns upon His throne even in the darkest of times and in the prison cell of Patmos and in your darkest storms of life when it seems that, Lord, where are You? You've gone away from Me. Everyone has gone away. This world is dark. The powers of Satan seem to rule. The powers of America are dark and evil. You need to be reminded that there is a throne. And there is one who sits upon it who is eternal. Maybe John needed this reminder in a dark time. Because I need this reminder in dark times. That God still reigns through my darkest of nights. Through my stormiest of storms. There is a throne that is set. That means immovable. This this throne was not placed later. It does not shift with the times. It does not scoot around. It cannot be picked up and moved. It is set in the midst of heaven. 
And on that throne is God Almighty who said it Himself. That is the focus of our worship. That is what John first saw. And I want that to be what you see when you open God's Word. I want you to see His throne through the passages of Leviticus and Exodus. And some of the chapters that are hard to read, I want you to see a throne of God who has set those things to be in place. Through the book of Acts, I want you to see a throne of God that is ruling and reigning through the tribulation of people. Through the persecution of saints, there is still a throne of God. When you come into the doors of worship, we know that this is just a building but you are coming to be with the body of Christ, His bride. Here is a special place of worship when you are congregated together with the saints of God, wherever that may be throughout this world, when you come into the assembly of saints, see the throne of God in the prayer. See the throne of God as you sing. See the throne of God as you hear broken vessels Preach His Word. Let that be your focal point. Let Him control all of your worship. That it be focused on Him. John didn't see Rome ruling here. He saw God Almighty ruling. And he saw God Almighty sitting upon that throne. Unmovable and unshakable. You know the... The Caesars of Rome came and went. The kings of this earth come and go. The presidents come and go. But God Almighty has just told him in the preceding chapters, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. He does not change or get His seat up to anyone. It is His and His alone from all eternity to now And to all eternity to come, it always has been, it always will be His seat. Everything in this worship is in relation to the throne. In verse 2, God is on the throne. In verse 4, the 24 elders are around the throne. In verse 5, lightnings and thunderings and voices come from the throne. In verse 6, there's a sea of glass like crystal before, around, and under the throne. The cherubim are flying around the throne. The glory and honor is to the one on the throne. And the elders cast their crowns and bow before the throne. All of the worship is pointed to the throne of God. Because it is an occupied throne. It is not empty. It is not waiting for someone to come. It is not waiting for someone else to be worthy or for anyone to do a good enough job or a great enough king on earth to come and occupy that throne. This throne is occupied from all eternity past and always will be by the great Creator God He's not willing that He would give it to anyone save Himself. Because only He is worthy to sit upon this throne. It's not a future rule that we must anticipate. He 
rules now upon his throne. He is ruling in the affairs of men now and he is ruling over your lives now. And when he has brought you from a kingdom of darkness and has opened your eyes and to see a kingdom of light and he has brought you into his kingdom, you see him upon that eternal throne now where he rules now. He's working His will throughout all of history. He governs and rules over all, all of the happenings of mankind. He rules over all. He is sovereign over all. The one who sits upon this throne, He's depicted as completely pure. There was no way for the human eyes of John to accurately describe just how beautiful God is. So he had to describe Him as something we might could understand. But He's described as beautiful, beautiful stones. Later on, the jasper stone in Revelation 21.11 is described as crystal clear. The sardis stone was a bright red All he could think was the most beautiful, glorious stones that were pure and clear. Because the one who sat upon the throne is pure and holy. Then we see a rainbow as of emeralds over his throne. I mean, it's hard to just depict it. It's hard to imagine it. When you come into that throne room and you see this throne and the the radiant glory shining forth from the throne is like bright jewels. And around it is a rainbow of, of emeralds. And that rainbow is symbolism of what? His faithfulness to mankind. And all of this splendid beauty is to show one thing. The absolute royalty, majesty, glory, and honor of the one who sits upon that throne. There is no throne like this that has ever been in the world. Because no one has ever occupied such a throne but God. No one is worthy to sit upon such a throne but God. And then in verse 5 you hear, The thunderings and the lightnings and the voices coming forth from this occupied throne. And this isn't just a a, a thundering and a lightning that we would see in nature here. Just the happenings of nature. This is the thunderings and the lightnings and the voice of God coming forth from this throne. This represents a coming firestorm of judgment of a righteous God upon sinful man that will come forth from this throne with a mighty voice and mighty thunderings. This is a fearful event. I promise you, John was trembling, as you should be when you come before the throne of God. We should not come irreverently to worship. We should not come flippantly to open our Word. We should come with a fear and a trembling, knowing who sits upon the throne that we are coming to worship. That He will come with a righteous judgment, a wrathful judgment upon mankind one day. And it should call fear and trembling. But we fear in worship. Because we know 
who sits upon the throne. And we know the promises of the One who sits upon that throne. But still, it is a fearful and awe-inspiring thing to be before a righteous and holy God. And then we see the 24 elders crowned with robes of white. I believe that this 24 elders is representing the redeemed of all the ages because of the next chapter, which we'll go to in just a moment briefly. But on their heads they have crowns, and on their bodies they are robed in white. This white robe signifies the purity of Jesus Christ over all of His redeemed people. All of His people are white and pure before Him. And these crowns show victory that they have persevered until the very end. And there is a crown now of righteousness and victory upon the heads of His redeemed because they have finished their race and they are now before the presence of their great and holy God. Revelations chapter 5, verses 8 and 10 speaks of these elders. And when they had taken the book and the four beasts and the four and twenty four elders, and they fell down before the Lord, having every one of them harps and golden vials of odors, which were the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book, to open the seals thereof, for Thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by Thy holy blood, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us into unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. These are the 24 elders that are sitting before Him. Do you see the victorious theme in this worship? The victory that is there in worshiping and knowing the King who sits upon the throne? There's victory in Jesus Christ as they declare in that chapter 5 that there is victory in Jesus. That He has brought them to God. That He has bathed them in His righteousness. That He has conquered death. That God Almighty reigns supreme upon that throne. There is victory. And then we see these four beasts. That it's, it's hard to picture it in your head. One with the face like a man. One like a, a calf. One like a lion. One like a flying eagle. And they have eyes all around their head covering the fronts and backs of their head, and they have six wings. These are the cherubim. They were described multiple times in the Old Testament by Ezekiel and Isaiah. They both described them. And they are always in connection with the presence of God. These are the guardians of the throne room of God. Guardian symbolically, because we know that no one can come to God's presence without Him willing it, without Him allowing it. It is a symbolic guardianship of the throne of Jesus Christ, God Almighty. And they fly about this throne. They're never disposed of, they're never removed, they're constantly at all times around this throne, these angelic creatures are surrounding Him and calling out praises and glory to His name. Isaiah, when he described them, I believe it's in Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6, verse 2, I believe. For 1 through 3, let's read those. 
In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne and high and lifted up, and His train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Their faces were covered with two of their wings because they're unable to even view or look upon the blinding glory of God Almighty. With two wings they cover their feet because they are unworthy to be in His presence that even their feet should be shown. And with two wings they fly constantly around His throne ready to carry out His will. And they sing continual praise. And that is what we should see in our worship service is continual praise to the God upon the throne. And that is what marks this scene is that every creature and every king and every priest that is there, everything that is there worships continually the throne. Day and night, these beasts fly around saying, Holy, holy, holy. Holiness is the summation of who God is. It is His essence. No one else is holy. No one. No one is completely pure and holy. Except for God. And then they say it three times. Now God is love. God is peace. God is grace. And as we heard this morning, God is long-suffering and patient. But they sing three times, holy, 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 to magnify the importance of His holiness. Lord, You are holy. You are holier. You are holiest of all. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He is absolute pure. Hannah, in 1 Samuel chapter 2, in Hannah's prayer, says, There is none as holy as the Lord. None can claim that holiness. He is pure. 1 John 1.5 tells us that in Him there is no darkness. He is completely pure and completely righteous. And because of this, the 24 elders that are surrounding that throne take off their crowns and they lay them at His feet because they acknowledge in the laying down of their crowns that all of our victory is in You, God. This crown is not my own. I didn't earn my victory here. I didn't do good enough to get here. I wasn't righteous enough and holy enough. This crown of victory and righteousness is Yours, Lord. I cannot wear a crown before Your presence. And they laid themselves down in worship. They were upon thrones and they laid themselves down in worship before God because they say, You are worthy, O Lord. You are worthy. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. Referencing Romans chapter 11, verse 36, where it says, All things are from Him and through Him and 
to Him. All things come from Him. All things are because of Him. Therefore, all of our praise and worship goes to Him. Then they say, you've created all things for your pleasure. They are and they were created. They're saying, God, you stood in eternity past. You've declared the end from the beginning. You declared everything into being, both in creation and in your providence. You have declared all, God. Only you are worthy of such praise. Only you are worthy of such honor. Only you are worthy of such glory. Because only you are holy, holy, holy. Brothers and sisters, we need to have this view of God when we come to worship Him. When we open our word to read of Him. When we bow before Him in silent Quiet prayer or public prayer or with your children at bedtime or in your car. You must see Him as holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty. Stephen Lawson in his book, The Moment of Truth, when speaking of worshiping God, he says, an overriding sense of towering transcendence of God should be conveyed to worshipers. When people enter a church worship service, they should not be struck by the horizontal, but by the vertical. They should not be struck by the church's adaptability to the world, but rather struck by the church's identity with Almighty God, the one who is seated upon this throne, who is ruling and reigning over all history. Let's close with Psalm chapter 103 that Mike preached from this morning that he read from. Psalm 103, verses 19 through 22 in closing. The Lord has prepared His throne in the heavens, and His kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, ye His angels, that excel in strength, that do His commandments, hearkening unto the voice of His word. Bless ye the Lord, all ye hosts, ye ministers of His, that do His pleasure. Bless the Lord, all His works, in all places of His dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. See God as He truly is when you come before Him in worship. Let's pray. God Almighty, we ask that You receive our praise that we lift up to You. Because we know that it is through the blood of Jesus Christ that we boldly come before that glorious throne. Lord, may we, when we come to worship You in public, when we come to worship You in our private reading, and when we come to worship You in that closet of prayer, Lord, that we would see the throne of God and that we would see You seated upon that throne knowing that You alone are worthy of all praise. Praise to God through the 
blood of Jesus Christ. Amen.